0: Yeah, okay. oh, kid. Welcome, 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 everybody, back to another episode of the Handsome Home Buyer Podcast. My name is Charles, aka the Handsome Home Buyer, aka Captain Perpet, aka. El Julio Maravilloso, aka. Dude, we do this every week. The 2020 LLS Man of the Year. Yes. Yes. Yeah. 2020 <laughs> LLS Man of the Year. Um, big week this week. Bought three houses. Got a big commercial development site in the village of Farmingdale. Look out, Farmingdale. Handsome's coming for you. Under contract. Only took nine months once I had the accepted offer. You deal with that stuff too? A little bit. This is new for the commercial world for me. Like You get an accepted offer and you're like, yes. yeah. And then it takes like a year to get a contract yeah, executed. Only, it, you find it's only the beginning, right? It's, it's just, it, I'm used to, somebody calls me on Wednesday, bro, I got a house for you to buy, we're yeah. closing on Friday, the boys are in the field ripping this thing apart mm-hmm. to hurry up and wait forever. Yeah, um, it's uh. Do you deal with that also?
1: Yeah, it gets a lot more complicated. I, I guess when you're selling a house, there's not much to negotiate, right? It's just, just go. Price closing, um, but when you get into something commercial it's uh, or a larger
0: development piece, it can get, there's a lot more factors that you got to deal with and get complicated really quickly. Maddie, you know who you don't have to wait for? Who's on the job all the time, ready to rock and roll from the moment you call with the most handsome crew in the business? that's damn right captain permit 516-513-883 and if you need plans if you need permits anything real estate related decks sheds interior alteration new construction homes we got you and we got the most handsome frontman in the business I don't know if you guys saw my IG the other day Mike COO of captain permit jacked out of his mind I took his shirt off I got a little tingly below the belt and everybody knows that I have a slightly unhealthy uh, love of women I've never seen a person who had the striations of this man. Every muscle fiber is clearly defined. So again, like I always say, ladies, female realtors out there, in my opinion, there is nothing more sexy than a jacked man who used to be a bad boy who's converting now to a good guy who can legalize your deck. Think about that for a moment. Obviously, I'm the handsome home buyer. If you have a house that smells like cat pee, is dated from the 1960s, has six inches of mold on the wall, human waste floating past the basement steps. I'm quick, I'm easy, I'm a good time, I wanna buy it. 516777 sold. That goes for land, commercial developments, we're buying gas stations, self storage sites, temples, everything, you name it, we're buying it. 516777 sold. All right, killer guest today, man. I'm pumped about this. I've been chasing you down for a little while. Finally connected. And um, thank you very much for coming down. I really, really appreciate it. This is going to be a dynamite podcast. All right, so the list is long but distinguished, all right? Owner of Beechwood Homes. Beechwood Homes is one of the top 200 developers. Did you know this? Not on Long Island but in the country? No, I didn't know that. I saw an article. I think you guys are like 157, like something crazy oh, like I'm that. Oh,
1: on the top 200 home builders. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yes, 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 yes. Yeah. In yeah, the yeah. country. yeah.
0: All right. You guys know him from Country Point, Vanderbilt, soon to be the new Selby. I got that right? You got that right. Metapro Point, Marina Point, Avern by the Sea, and the Rockaways, which is an unbelievable unbelievable engineering marvel. I did a case study on it at, uh, at NYU. Um, he also happens to be, you could possibly be the most handsome man in the real estate business, my friend. <laughs> Luscious hair, looks like a Kennedy. Again, everybody knows... I'm into girls. However, if I was a girl or not, I would hurl over this counter to grab a PCU, sir. I think I'm blushing. So, thanks for that. Stephen Dub, Beachwood Holmes. I'm, I'm 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 glad it's a podcast. So. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Everyone can't see the look on my face right
0: now. Oh no, this video, bro. Right. It's video. Oh, okay. All right, we <laughs> yeah, can. Perfect. So, sorry about that. It's no, 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 no. It's all good. So, thanks, man. I really, really appreciate it. Um, obviously, you guys are you you are the uh, the pinnacle. Of development you are the pinnacle of the American dream from what I hear I don't know a lot about you but I'm, I'm very excited to kind of flush it out and learn more about what you guys do and your history um, on the podcast sure so um, a little bit of background about um, I guess give a little background about about yourself where you come from school etc we started talking yeah. about it offline
1: um, so I grew up in in Jericho uh, in Nassau County, uh, graduated from Jericho High School in 2003. Uh, went to NYU. Actually started as a, oh, nice Yeah, alumni. Yeah, What's yeah, up?
0: Yeah, yeah. You get those emails, those alumni emails. Every fr- oh, I I'm graduating next semester from oh, okay. the masters yeah, program. Yeah, you'll get
1: plugged into that whole regime. I'm it's, sure it's a lot of fun. Um, they really you pay for the education, and they really come after you for some more afterwards. Um, but uh, went to NYU as a studio art major. Um, Wanted to be an architect. Uh, thought oh, yeah. I'd parlay the studio art thing into architecture. Um, and I realized pretty quickly after a year or so that's not what I wanted to do. Um, and so I moved into, um, uh, they had an undergrad real estate major, which, okay. which uh, a lot of schools didn't have. Um, so I, think I didn't were, realize they had that.
0: Yeah. Um, it was back in the, then. I know they have it now, but I didn't know they had it back then.
1: Yeah. Um, and I think it was one of the first years that they were doing it, but I loved it. It was a really, really practical education. It sounds right. like from what we were talking about offline, um, you're having the same experience. Game changer for me, bro. From just basics in like appraisals and finance. Um, I took a construction management class that was great. Um, uh, just an overall development class. It's, it's a really good foundational education yeah. for... Um, uh, for a career in the real estate business, and then I, um, uh, after I graduated, I went to work at Credit Suisse in their real estate finance group, and we did okay. um, what's called commercial mortgage-backed security loans. Yeah. So, CNBS. 2007, CMBS, um, so.
0: CMBS is fucking crazy. Like, I took a class on CMBS, and when I'm taking this class, I'm like, three guys got totally hammered, did a ton of, a ton of coke, yeah. went out, and just dreamed this shit up. Uh-huh. Because it is insane.
1: Uh-huh. It's insane. Yeah. Um, it, it's, so so for people who don't know what it is, you, the bank would make loans on um, apartment buildings, on industrial, on office, um, hotels, eventually condos, pretty much any kind Houses. of. Houses. Yeah, um, and then they would uh, package the loans so every loan would, would have a monthly interest payment, um, similar to a bond, right? Yeah. Um, and so they'd package the loans into groups. they basically create bonds out of them and they'd sell them on the bond market and, and make a vig. So if, if a property was paying 4%, um, they'd sell it on the bond market for 3% and basically make money. make the spread. Right. Um, and it was a great business. Uh, so you I, were putting those together? So we, we would make the loans and then somebody else in our group would, would package them into bonds and, and okay. get them um, rated by the rating agencies and securitized and sell them, but we were on the front lines making the loans.
0: What year was this?
1: So I started in um, mid-2007 and things were very, very, very busy for a couple of months. And oh. then, you so, started
0: literally at the peak. I started it, at the peak. Then it yeah. fell off a cliff. When,
1: when I got into the office, people were exhausted. They'd been going hard for a couple of years. And I yeah. think they were they were making a ton of money. It was yeah. great. That that was pre-recession, Wall Street. So um, uh, there were... You know, I remember you'd walk out of the office. And we didn't leave the office till 10 or 11 o'clock at night, most yeah. nights. Um, but there would be uh, black cars lined up around the block um, for anybody who stayed later than a certain hour. That yeah. Could, could take them home. It was just... Um, there's a lot of excess, and uh, and so it had been going really well for a few years, and um, people were exhausted. But summer of 2007, before I think people think of the recession as hitting in 2008, but in our business, it was 2007 that things really started to slow down. Um, and I remember at the time, people around me saying um, that they thought every. Everybody just needed a pause. It had just been too much. Um, or, or So they were always welcoming the... Uh, yeah. Um, I don't think they wanted to be that bad, but... Yeah, and then business didn't pick up again in the fall, um, and things got progressively worse. You know, the economy started falling apart. So um, did you stay there? Uh, I was there for about two years, yeah. So, so so our group, I think, was about 500 people around the world. Credit, okay. Swiss, Credit Suisse, as they tell you to say, um, was one of the biggest CMBS players yeah. out there. Um, and, uh, we had a bunch of offices globally and within a year it had gone down to something like 20 people. Yeah. Um, and so there were successive rounds of layoffs and I was a first or second year analyst, so I was pretty cheap. Yeah. Um, and I managed to stay around for a while. So I think I got laid off in, in the maybe second to last round, um, and they ended up going from 500 people to like 15 to, to wow. manage all the loans. Cause what had happened is the music stopped. Yeah and um and they had made all these loans that they suddenly couldn't sell yeah and so they kept some people on for asset management to sort of service the loans deal with them and and try to get them sold off over the subsequent years and eventually they got back into the business and i think they have a a
0: platform now but but between uh, did they have a lot of the shit or or like did they have a would they yeah they made some
1: yeah they made some some pretty um heady Loans um, that when the music stopped, they were like you know, other people in the bank woke up to what the CMBS group was doing, and they were like, "What are you? you, what, are you what are you guys doing?" Um, and and the bank got stuck with them. And I think eventually they got rid of them. And eventually they may have made money on them, but but it took a long time to um, to get through it, and for the for the market fundamentals to come back to support the loans. So uh, for me, I, you know, just being a lowest rung on the ladder observer and somebody who who was in the office, twelve hours, sixteen hours a day, um, sometimes all day. Um, it was it was a really good education in the fundamentals of real estate, in business, um, and it, it sucked. But at this, because the hours sucked and you have no control of your life. but yeah. At the same time, it's like drinking from a fire hose in terms of what you learn and what you see. Um, so I wouldn't I wouldn't change a thing about it. Um, and so I got I got laid off um, late in two thousand eight, and um, I had always thought that I'd come work at Beachwood one day. I Mm. I thought I should work somewhere else to um, get a little bit of experience and be able to add value. And I wasn't planning on coming to Beachwood that soon, but um, next day, I had nothing to do, and so I I drove (laughs) out to Long Island. um, And I went to work, and it's a little depressing. You know, getting laid off, even if you've done nothing wrong, yeah maybe um, the world was coming to
0: an end bro
1: yeah but it's it's a it's it feels bad you know even though you know 50 other people got laid off from the same thing it's nothing you did it it sucks um so it was good look it was a good experience It was a little bit of a depressing time we were going into late 2008 so getting laid <sighs> yeah. off in the winter and jumping the car i live in the city driving out to you, long island you live in the city now still, still live in the city yeah. oh yeah yeah
0: i wanted to do that what is that like
1: um, it's is, great is it's, the
0: reverse commute tough?
1: Do you, yeah it sucks
0: I always thought to myself listen I want to live in this city because I just I want to but here I'm thinking i am like, am I really going to get to enjoy the city because I work like 24-7 Yeah. and by the time the commute by the time I get home I'm like what am I going to
1: yeah so, so what I would ta- I, I spend um, during the week I, uh, I spend almost no time in the city I, I drive home I shower I go to sleep um, maybe I go to the gym before I go to sleep and then I wake up in the morning and I get in the car and I drive out to Long Island so yeah. it, it's not great during the week but um, but on weekends, um, it's, awesome. it's, it's great to enjoy the city. Yeah, um, and my wife works at Snapchat um, in Times Square. Oh, nice. So, yeah, so so I think eventually we'll probably move out to Long Island um, when we have kids. Yeah.
0: But uh, but for now, it's fun. So so I want to stop you there for a second just to talk about that weird, not creepy fantasy that I had before because yeah. you just said the wife thing, which crushes all the ladies, including my dreams right now. So when I was like, I'm gonna have him on the podcast. I'm like, you know what? All of a sudden, this thing came to me, and I'm like. You know what the rat pack is? Sammy Davis, you yeah, 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 the rat pack? Yeah. I'm like, bro, we need a rat pack. I'm gonna call it the real estate rat pack. We're gonna get shirts and everything. It's gonna be me, you, Matt, our visual, Kulka, my boy Darren. Okay. And we're just gonna like crush real estate by day and the ladies by night. And then I'm like, but he's married, I have a girlfriend, Matt's married with a kid, and so is Darren. So I was like, this just goes to shit. But in my alternate universe. Yeah. We're we're just we're taking over. No, eight eight years ago I would have been down. That you want to be been... Sinatra? Who do you want to be? Yeah, I'd like. You're to more be like Sinatra. a Dean Martin guy, the taller.
1: Yeah. Okay, I'm, I'll, I'll take anything. I I'd love to be part of a Rat Pack. <laughs> I'm
0: I'm good with whatever. How uh, how did your CMBS exp- was I feel like your CMBS experience would be very valuable for what you guys are doing now on the scale that you're doing it. Now. Um yeah, it's gotten more so so we're we're really
1: a mom-and-pop company my dad didn't go to college he was a landscaper Um, he sort of built the business from from scratch and and he's not a it's amazing yeah Um, yeah what he's what he's done is really it's it's incredible and 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 I don't know if you could do it today um, because I think he was he he, uh, it was partially the times you know the 1980s banking being a little bit easier the world being a little bit simpler um, you know, I'm not sure if it would be as easy for a guy who was self-made like him or a self-starter who had a landscaping business to, to build a company as big as Beechwood is. Um, but he did. Mm-hmm. And um, um, but it was so, so what happened in 2008 is banking got a lot harder. All of a sudden yeah. home building became a four letter word in, in the banking world and nobody wanted to lend. Um, so I had spent. Two years uh, sitting in the office for 14 hours a day, putting together pitch books and doing Excel modeling, um, and suddenly having the ability to to aggregate all the information in um, in the business into concise models that our potential lenders could understand, yeah, um, or pretty pitch books that sold a project or explained a project simply, that stuff kind of helped, and and they needed um, this. Probably really boring, but they needed um, a lot more. Our lenders needed a lot more frequent and better reporting. So. Okay. So my initial, I oh, think, it's interesting. to the extent I added value those first couple of years. As far it, as what, like,
0: statuses of projects? Yeah, how like many that. units
1: you've sold, a, a report showing how many units you've sold this month, how much, um, what you've spent in direct costs, what you've spent in, in indirect costs, site yeah. work, um, show us a schedule of, of your backlog, meaning contracts uh, you have on houses that you haven't delivered yet across all your sites, how does it compare to the last five years, and I'd go, oh, shit, i got to go and f- try to figure out how many homes we sold per month yeah. in each community over the last five years. Like we just had never needed to um, be that professional and, uh, and so I spent a lot of time doing at Beechwood what I did um, initially at, or what I did at Credit Suisse. Um, and so I think but the first few years were tough. I was trying to f- like kind of feel out what my role was there mm-hmm. and, um, and my dad, I'm, I'm lucky, I think a lot of people in a family business have um, fathers who are critical or who are tough um, and he was the complete opposite. I, you know, If anything, uh, it's like I could do no wrong with him, mm-hmm. um, and if anything, I, I wish um, he'd be a little tougher on me, um, and so he sort of left me to find my way, and I was really um, really focused on trying to figure out how I could add value. I, I, I wanted to earn my salary. You know, one of the things that sucks, and you don't have this problem, um, and it's not a bad problem to have, nobody's gonna cry for me, is when you go into a family business, um you don't know what you earned on merit and and what you um, were just given. it's it's hard to know. I mean, you know that you were given a position in a family business but um, but it's hard to know um, what you could have done on your own And so mm-hmm. you've always got this sort of insecurity um, uh, about the whole thing and so I was pretty determined to um, to be validated yes. in, in the eyes of all the other employees at Beechwood and and myself, Um to really add value and do things that um, I could look around and say maybe you, without me here this wouldn't have happened. Yeah. Um, that I could really be proud of, and and that was selfish. I just wanted to um, wanted to feel like I was contributing and not just taking. Um, and for the first couple of years it was tough because we were a business that um, built houses and sold houses, and um, and I was learning a lot, but I wasn't necessarily adding a lot of, of value on on that end. And so being able to Work with our lenders and find new lenders in this mm-hmm. environment where suddenly all of our old partners had I can't gone even away. Um, so that's where I was able to, to um, I think, help
0: out first, um, and then it sort of grew from there. So uh, I want to touch on two things. A, so ironically, you're 34. You might have this already. It took me a little bit longer. At 40, there's good and bad. Mm-hmm. The bad is you get like hair that grows out of your ear that's like 12 inches long, yeah. and it happens in like a matter of days, which is weird. You like candy ice cream anymore because it's just like sticks itself to you and it doesn't come off. Yeah. But you also developed this kind of like psychic sense about people. So I like, I saw you in a picture and then I saw a really short clip of you um, basically talking about carrying on your father's legacy. And I'm like, it, it just said so much about your character as kind of who you are, it just spoke to me. I'm just like, this is like a very humble guy, close to his family, respects his father, appreciates what he's done, doesn't feel entitled. I'm like, this is somebody like I want to get to know and, and I think people should hear from. So, uh, you know, oh, kudos uh, to you, sir, it's amazing. I appreciate that. Glad they um, came through in a caption.
1: Yeah, it's just, again, it's, it, it <laughs> ha- you know, ear hair,
0: psychic ability yep. come together. Um, just a little bit of history so people so people um, know. A little bit of the history of Beachwood, when it started, how it happened, and then I want to kind of get into how things have really, really changed in the sense that you guys were ripping out tons of homes, but, like, now the landscape is very different. Like, yeah. Long Island is totally built out, essentially. Yeah. And your quote-unquote homes have now taken on a... Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so I'll, I'll
1: give you the history, and feel free to guide me if I'm going on too long. or No, or, no. Um, so my dad had a landscaping business that he started when he was, I think, 15, um, and mowing lawns around the neighborhood where he grew up, which was around Wheatley. Um, and, and I think it was a business that uh, he needed a landscape van for, and he had to hire somebody to drive it because he was too young to to have a driver's license that's awesome um and so he sort of he didn't go to college um he had this business that he had built uh, was he
0: born here or was he born somewhere else no he
1: was born in long island okay yeah um and um uh and he, i think he got into condominium management it was the early 80s condominiums were popping up around uh north shore of nassau county and in addition to doing landscaping he was doing the management for the condos um, and what would happen is they partially built condos as they completed phases, would bring in a management company to manage the phases that were done um, and while they were building other phases. And he was doing one for a builder who maybe wasn't the most scrupulous um, uh, builder out there. And he had a relationship with the construction lender. They, the construction lender also did his banking. Um, and he would sort of report – I think the houses had issues – the houses that were done had issues and his condo manager, he had to sort of get um, educated on, on how to repair them or how to deal with the issues or what was done right or what was done wrong. Um, and he would end up sort of reporting back to uh, the construction lender to, to an individual, a guy named Randy Nielsen, I think he was at Reliance Federal Savings Bank or Reliance Savings Bank, um, on what the builder was doing right and wrong and what he saw going on on the site and the phases that were under construction. And Randy said to him, um, you seem like you know what you're talking about. If you ever find a project that you want to build, Reliance will put up the money, um, and Reliance and you can split the profits wow. um, 50-50, which is just something, and th- and that's why I alluded to before. I don't know if he could have started the business in today's environment. Back in the 80s, banks were able to do joint ventures. Um, you couldn't do that today. Banks are not allowed to do that. So, so Randy and Reliance really gave him his start. Um, I think the first project that they built together was called Spruce Pond at North Hills, 69 uh, condominiums. It was 1984, 85, 86. Oh,
0: so he didn't start building, I thought he started building houses, just regular single-family homes.
1: No. Um, so, so he had a partner at the time um, who was an architect. Uh, they were partners, I think, until the early 2000s. Um, maybe he had done some homes before, but, but I think the first project was Spruce Pond. Mm. Um, and Reliance did the, did the loan on it, and it went well. And they were sort of off and running from there, building more and more projects around Long Island. And I think in the late 80s, um, there was a bit of a real estate crash in yeah, Long Island. Yeah, it was uh, savings and loan. Well, savings and loan crisis, savings and loan crisis. Um, and so they were like, you know, holy crap, uh, you know, what are we gonna do? We've got all these houses we can't sell. Um, there's no more projects to build out here. And uh, they looked to New York City, and I think that there was a not-for-profit still around called the New York City Housing Partnership. And they had a program at the time where they would buy, uh, they would contribute lots in really bad areas, like Bushwick, which in the mid-'80s was a scary place to go. Yeah. Um, and, and the program was housing partnership would put the lots in, uh, developer would pay to build the house, and then you'd sell affordable housing. And so they bid on and, and were awarded a bunch of these affordable housing projects in the outer boroughs, and it sort of became a second line of business, and it carried them through the 80s and the 90s yeah. um, when you couldn't make any money out on Long Island. Um, And so they sort of developed the New York City outer boroughs business and the Long Island condominium single
0: family business. Yeah. I didn't realize that you guys were in the boroughs. Yeah. Interesting similar story. Do you know, um, I'm going to raise this up because you're a lot taller than me. Um, You know MDG Development? They're an affordable housing developer out of Huntington. Mm. I'm sure I've heard of them. Yeah. So I had them on here um, and they had started in the 80s in like Harlem, basically giving them free free real estate, free buildings. And they do like, they do tax credit deals. Yep. Um, but it was it was basically same time, same situation, so it's like interesting yeah. parallel.
1: Um, yeah, and, and so it got them through the savings and loan crisis, um, and then uh, market improved, and, and they kept building more projects out on Long Island, and they kept building in the city, and they sort of grew the business, and, and through the 90s um, and the early 2000s, there were probably half a dozen regional-sized developers, you know, home builders out here on Long Island. Okay. Um, and then the recession hit, and a lot of them got washed out. Uh, and we were lucky in the sense that we had four projects going at the time that um, I think were just so desirable that even though uh, the value of our buyers' houses had gone down 20%, sometimes 50% from what it was pre-recession, they still wanted to live there. So, um so we sold less houses every year in the recession, but okay. we still sold houses enough to get through it. Were you selling them
0: at a huge discount compared to what they were selling
1: before? No, no. Well, the discount was really there. there was no discount. We held prices. We mostly didn't raise prices, um, but we uh, we just sold less of them every year. But we, there was still enough demand for those projects. We were building Meadowbrook Point. We were building down at Arvonne by the sea. We were building a, a condominium community out in Bedford uh, called um, Country Point Mill Pond. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and we were building in the Bronx a, a community called Harbor Point at Shorehaven. And there was just enough demand. I, th- I think we built a better mousetrap. Um, and so we didn't lower prices, mostly didn't raise them. We just sold less houses. But it was enough yeah. to carry us through. And, and a lot of those other similarly sized builders out there kind of got washed out by the recession. Um, it, their projects didn't fare as well, so you know, coming out of it in 2012, 13, 14, they were still nursing uh, you know, wounds from the wow. recession. And and so for a while, we sort yeah. of had our pick of, of land out here, which was great. Um, and the other thing that happened is, is mm-hmm. some of the builders got through it okay, but um, the original owners sort of aged out and they didn't have succession plans. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and so it's interesting that you brought that up. Yeah. Um, so I, I think there's there's less competition here um, than there was pre-recession. But the same now there, there's a lot of developers who are sort of getting back on their feet, and uh, or new developers who've come into town, and and so there's a little bit more um, competition. The other thing that's happened is I think there's less demand overall for housing than there was pre-recession, and that gets to you mean from a purchasing standpoint. Yeah. Um, I think it gets to like. Just demographic changes on Long Island yeah, and, and some some major um, structural issues that the island has in terms of its economy and, and demographics and yep. taxes and, you know, all these things that are contributing to uh, making it a tough place to build houses and sell houses. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, you know, it's all sort of come out in the wash. There there may be less home builders, but I think there's also less getting built overall, and, and there yeah. is a need
0: to be much more. The interesting thing that I see so, and you're you're in this world a lot more than I am, so correct me if I'm wrong, when I look around, like I'm 40 or 34 years old, the the bigger developers that I see that have been around for a while are, are much older, and there seems to almost be like a really big void. Mm-hmm. I feel like in 10 years, it's gonna be like you, me, I, I'm sure there's a couple other people that I don't know, but as far as the volume, I don't see like a lot of young developers out there. Yeah, is that um, true, or is that am I just not tapped into that? Because it's possible I'm not.
1: Um, no, I think you're right. I, I mean, you probably have your your finger on the pulse more than I do on, on who else is out there because we're pretty um, we're pretty secluded. You know, I go to work every day. I've got a ton of issues to deal with. I'm I'm not out there networking as much as I should be. I, we're just focusing on getting what we we've what we own and what we're building built and sold. Yeah. Um, so. You probably know more than I do, and uh, but my impression is there aren't a lot of next generation people out there building, um, yeah. uh, and I guess, you know, you've, you've got the same point of view on it, so. Yeah, so uh, I like
0: I just see, I mean, I see opportunity, just basically the way the world is changing right now and how fast it is, and then just the baby generation being so large and, and, and coming of a certain age. Yeah. I just feel like there's opportunity in every industry across the board, you know, especially ours. Um, and while things are tough, like obviously there's there's like li- very little land, the regulations are, are very difficult. Like it's hard to communicate with the general public. I mean, I went out there and kind of naively said, "I'm going to bring everybody in and ask their opinion in the entire town of Oceanside." And yeah. somebody charged. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maddie's got it on video. And there's a guy literally charging up the aisle at me, yeah. and like had to be restrained. Yeah. So. Um, but there's <laughs> and, um... but there's always there's always opportunity. Um, but it just seems like I guess there's a shift so whereas you used to be able to sell more now like the rental demand is just through the roof yeah um well probably makes sense to talk about issues that because
1: it's Long Island sort of like structural problems um real estate taxes, traffic, um, yeah. bureaucracy. Tax code didn't help. Right. That are that are sort of pushing us into building more rental housing and it's pushing demand yeah. towards rental. Yeah. Um trends
0: so, it's trends also.
1: Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No. Yeah. So so I think here's if we build a retirement condominium community, um, we've got buyers from Long Island who have been in homes for 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 years and they're getting older and they don't want to deal with um, the landscaping they don't want to deal with snow removal they don't want to have to worry about getting leaves out of the gutter uh, they don't want to have to make sure they call the garbage uh, yeah. company for pickups whatever it is so so they want to live in a condominium community and most of them want to stay on Long Island because yeah. it's where their
0: family is it's where Kids their friends are, here, are and they exactly. like it um, maybe and, they go to Florida for a few months they come back nothing to maintain nothing to worry about right and uh, and they want to um, so
1: they want to sell their single family home and move into a retirement community like, like we build at Country Point Plainview or, or at um, Country Point Meadows and Yapank, um, and they got to sell their house in order to buy a condo from us. What they can sell their house for, or what they can pay us, is a function of what they can sell their house for. I was just going right. to ask you about that. Um, so you know, most of them are not looking to sell their house and then uh, take all the proceeds from that and add a couple hundred thousand dollars to buy a condo. Most of them are trying to put some money in the bank after they sell their house and then buy a condo. And what they can pay us, what they can pay for a Beechwood home is a function of what they can sell their home for. What they can sell their home for is obviously a function of what the market is for single family homes in Long Island. Yes. And the problem we have, and and you'll be getting there, so at some point you'll get married and you'll have kids, you'll want to buy a house for your family, and you're going to look around and you're going to go, holy shit, I got to pay $15,000 a year in real estate taxes? Oh yeah, that's like standard yeah. on a 4-2 Cape in Massapequa. Right. And, and, and you're going to say, I could afford... I could afford $500,000, no problem, but I don't want to pay $15,000 a year. And and so our ridiculously high real estate taxes are really a holdback on uh, price appreciation. If taxes were lower, people would be able to afford, you know, get a mortgage, a bigger mortgage for a more expensive house. Mm -hmm. Um, And you'd see more price appreciation in homes around Long Island. And so where we get squeezed, and I think it's happening to all developers, is price appreciations. You may have good years and bad years, but it's it, the trend is fairly flat. 3%,
0: I think, lifetime is really what they say.
1: And yet our costs go up. Our costs of building... Jesus. Um, Crazy. ...go up every year. Tariffs haven't helped. Um, yep. But there's a whole bunch of factors, CPI and whatever else. And so our margins get squeezed and squeezed. And and so the taxes really function as like... I think of it as clogging the arteries of, of what would otherwise be a healthy economy and healthy real estate market on Long Island. Um, and I don't know how we realistically back off real estate taxes. I, I don't know, you you may be able to stunt tax increases, but it seems unrealistic that we'll ever be able to back those out. So I don't know what that means. It, it may mean that Long Island will become one large uh, retirement community, but the There's problem is- Uber wealthy, it's just extremes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's hard for middle-class people to afford homes on Long Island, and you need middle-class people to be able to afford homes on Long Island in order to have a fully functioning, healthy economy. Um, And uh, I was in the Carolinas last week um, looking at at, um, the market around Charlotte and Charleston uh, and Raleigh, Raleigh. and there's really amazing things going on there. 20 years ago, uh, there's a community called East Birchwood uh, around our office in Jericho. 20 years ago you could've sold a house in East Birchwood for $600,000 and you could've gone down to the Carolinas and lived like a king. Yep. Now you can sell a, uh, your home in East Birchwood for six or $700,000. Maybe it's gone up in value a little bit over the last 20 years. You go down to the Carolinas, that doesn't get you as much as it used to. Um, they're sort of passing us in a lot of ways in terms of uh, yeah. value appreciation and, and it's a problem because when people realize that whole scale, they're going to want to leave Long Island because who wants to? And they are. Yeah. Um, so, so it's a problem. Um, it, that's sort of a macro problem. The other one that I think it sounds like you're you're experiencing a little bit is, is dealing with the bureaucracy and trying to get approvals and dealing with the public. It's, it's brutal. When, when you want to get a piece of land approved, you basically have to run a political campaign. Um, and, uh, and there's no worse <laughs> form of democracy than, than 200 people in village hall at 10 o'clock <laughs> at night on a Thursday
0: waiting for you at your car yeah. <laughs> when you come out, um, who,
1: who don't understand how the land planning or, or yes. approval process works. Um, and the,
0: the job creation or IDA, they think they give you suitcases of money to walk away with. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It's,
0: um, it's crazy. I, I want to dial it back for a second. Yeah. Cause I want to touch on something. So. I've, um, again, we've never met before, and I see what you're doing, and I've heard that they're very successful, which is amazing, meaning the, the condo sales. Yeah. Um, but I, so so the thing that I'm really dialed into, and I guess I'm like, I'm really on the front lines of that are the single family home sales mm-hmm. from, you know, a million dollars under. Mm-hmm. So I I stopped buying a lot this past year. I just actually picked it up again because I didn't. You couldn't make money, like the spreads were, were wacky. Yeah, and I primarily focus on the first time home buyer market. Mm-hmm. So, like now in Nassau, that's 550 or under, in Suffolk, it's 450 or under. Mm-hmm. And so, since the tax code and everything it kind of all shook out at the end of the year, the thing that I see that's really interesting is is a compression in first time home buyers. So, you have older people who want to downsize to smaller houses because of the taxes, and, and they don't need six bedrooms and 4,000 square feet. And then you have first time home buyers coming into the market. So now we're selling like ranches with basements in Brentwood for $415,000, which is bananas. But then I start thinking about how I see the high end houses dropping like rocks yeah. because nobody, so I'm looking, I'm like, yo, this is a sick house. Like Rocky lived in this house in Brookville that just got reduced to like 1.8 yeah. and it's like six bedrooms, seven bathrooms on six acres. I was like, Jesus, 50,000 in taxes.
1: People cannot, they, people who live in Brookville and old Westbury and those areas, they can't get rid of their houses. That's what I'm saying. Be, nobody wants to pay $60,000 a year in real estate taxes. It would be one thing, and this is where I, I, I mentioned traffic. Used to be that you'd have wealthy people who worked in Manhattan who bought those houses out here in the suburbs and commuted every day. Yeah. If you try to get in the in the car at seven forty-five in the morning, I mean, get Jesus into Manhattan, no. it's it's a nightmare. People can't do it anymore. Need a helicopter. And, yeah, and it and it's killed, um, it's killed values there. So you, know, the you, there are people in New York City who can afford sixty thousand dollars a year in real estate taxes, but they don't want that traffic lifestyle. I do it every day. I do the reverse commute every day, and it's brutal. You take the train or you drive. I drive. Jesus. By the time I go from my apartment at Penn Station out to Hicksville, get in a car and drive to the office, it's yeah. the same amount of time. And and if I'm in the car, I can make phone calls. Yeah, it's comfortable. I can. Yeah. And sometimes I go from site to site, so it's it's easy just to have. It's easier just to be in my own car. But it's brutal. It's it's my drive in the morning is an hour and fifteen minutes to an hour and a half. And yeah. And I'm that's usually, if it doesn't snow or rain. Where yeah, in the city are you? Uh, in Soho. So, okay. So what I do is I get on the Williamsburg Bridge, go up the BQE. I got to hope that a car has installed out on the on the hill up the, okay. to the Kashkisko Bridge, um, and then I get on the LIE and I basically just walk to down the LIE to to um, the Cross Island, and once I get across, are uh, you Passburg, getting to the point where you're just like, I, I can't? It, You're this like, year Curry, I can't do this anymore. This year it started to, to get to me. Um, took me so usually when I, I, I leave the office at 7 or 8 p.m. So at those hours, eight o'clock it's 35, 45 minutes door to door. If I had to do an hour and a half both ways I wouldn't do it. Um, uh, but last night I had to leave early. I had to get back to the city early for something and it was a two- hour commute and, I can't um, imagine. Uh, so it's, it's, it's starting to get to me. It's brutal.
0: That's, that's, I told you offline I'm like that's what happens like you hit 35 shit starts to break the yeah. ear hair you're not patient anymore I'm just telling you you got one more good mm-hmm. year left in you enjoy no, it Oh I know it's starting to happen Um uh, but, but
1: yeah so 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 you can, Brookville Old Westbury um people can't get rid of those houses and and so those you're right you have seen like there's a lot of demand at the
0: mid market level but at the yeah. high end there's almost none. And Bro, I'm, I'm buying, ha- like, it's to the point where, and construction costs are so high, and the, the sales price, like, the ARV prices aren't really moving past a certain point. So some of these houses, like, I'm buying them and just putting them back on the market and selling them as is. Yeah. Like, it's, or doing minimal work because I want to do the full gut renovation, but I, but I can't. Yeah. I, I can't pull it off. What I'm curious to know is... Are you are you seeing the effects in your sales or in, in condo sales in general? Watching these, like if people can sell their higher end homes for less money, is that impacting sales in any way or not really? Because um, they're just because again, you've built a better mousetrap. I think there's enough there's enough demand that we haven't seen it, but eventually, if, if the trend gets
1: worse, we will, uh, or if the trend continues, we'll we'll see that happen. So so there's enough demand for Country Point and Plain View yeah. that even though people you know maybe get less money for their houses than they than they used to. They still want to, they, they can still pay $800,000 yeah. $800 for, for a village. They want document. the lifestyle. Yeah. Um, but eventually, if if that continues, you know, and it, and it affects even more people, um, it would probably affect our demand. And you, you got to understand, there, there's not, you go down to the Carolinas and you drive down the highway or you go into one master plan community, there's six different public home builders building homes in that community. You drive down the um, uh, Turnpike in Jersey there's a community off every exit, so people yeah. have a ton of options. One thing about Long Island, a result of how hard it is to get land approved, yep. um, is if you want to buy a high-end condominium in Nassau County uh, on the North Shore, you've got two options. You've got the Ritz-Carlton, and you've got Country Point Plainview. Yeah. Um, I Ritz-Carlton guess it,
0: starts at, what, one two one five? Yeah,
1: and I, and I think, so I think we are, at our pricing level, Plainview, we go from the mid-600s yeah. up to uh, one, about three. One, 1.8 for our oh, yeah? our, our highest top-of-the-line townhome, um, but we're still in that section of the market where there's, uh, there's enough demand, but I think at the RXR level, Ritz-Carlton level, I think that's where they're really feeling yeah. the impact of people not being able to sell their houses in Old Westbury or Brookville for $3 million, and, and so they can't in turn turn around and buy a Ritz-Carlton condo. Um, so I think it's, it's a little bit higher than we, where we are at Plainview that's starting to feel it. Yeah. But if the trend continues or if it gets much worse, yeah. we would start to feel it at the, in the mid to high $1 million range. Um, and, and I think what will happen is um, you know, eventually people are going to start getting rid of their houses in Brookville and Old Westbury for, uh, for a song you know, for yeah. a lot less than what they think they're worth currently. They're going to get reassessed at lower values county's going to get a lot less and the school districts in terms of in tax revenue so what happens Um, and I think you know unless something changes you might see the county go bankrupt one day and that might be what it takes in order to um, sort of reset our our spending at the county level and and um, make this place a bit more of of a reasonable place to do business and and to own a home everything cycles everything has a life expectancy yeah yeah, it's a shame that it would it it would take a bankruptcy to do it, but I don't see any other way for
0: it to happen. Um, and so, so, just to get to the rentals, uh, that's what um, I was gonna say. Talk yeah. to me about kind of the transition, because rentals, I mean, are 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 they? Would you say they're relatively new compared to? Yeah, I think I think for a long time it was really really hard to get rental housing approved on
1: Long Island. Uh, there was sort of a um, mistaken consensus among towns and and village officials that rental housing would bring. I think bad elements into communities um, and, uh, and they didn't really want anything to do with it. And as a result, I think that the percentage of rental housing compared to the total housing stock on Long Island like is 17% or something yeah, like that. It's, it's, it's way lower than national averages, yeah. right? Like I, I think it might be national averages, 33, um, 35. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. Uh, and, um, and so when you could get them approved, there was a ton of demand for rental housing. And what, yep. and what we've done we sort of recognize being in the high-end condominium business that there are empty nesters and snowbirds on Long Island who um, they want a certain level of, of living yeah. um, lifestyle, uh, but they don't want to own a home because they don't want to pay the taxes, or they're going to move to Florida full time in a year or two, um, or you know, for whatever reason somebody wants to rent. Maybe that that's not what an empty nester wanted 20 years ago, but we we felt based on our experience with the condos that. Um, there was demand for high-end rental apartments. We looked around Long Island, and there was nobody who was really doing it. Yeah, um, It was a lot of Avalon product and a lot of Fairfield product. Um, but our condominium buyer, they didn't want to live in an Avalon community. Yeah, it's not the same. And definitely and, not
0: Fairfield. Fairfield's different. Yeah,
1: and, and and that's where we came up with um, with the idea for the Vanderbilt. Um, and, and really what it is, so it's part hotel, part rental apartments. Um, we've got a restaurant in the building um, by Tom Shadell, who's a I think as close to a celebrity chef as you get on Long Island, he's a great guy, um, and, and a gym, and uh, meeting rooms, and card rooms, it's all done like a, like a five-star hotel, um, and there's nothing else like it on Long Island, and, um, and the rents are high, um, but, uh, and the hotel rates are high, but it's, it's providing products to a segment of the market that was not served at all previously. Yeah. Um, and so I think it, it's gone well. I think the town of Hempstead's really proud of it in terms of it being, you know, an asset in in the town. And we took, um, it, we built it in a part of of Westbury that had been really commercial. It's where yeah. the flea market used to be, Roosevelt Raceway, yeah, right by the mall. Um, and so I, I think there's a lot less demand for those big box, uh, for the big box retail that you typically see around there. Mm-hmm. And so. Um, so I think it's an example of something that we've actually done. The island's done well is repurposing that commercial land that there's not demand for um, into something that's going to serve Long Island's yeah. existing residents.
0: Funny, uh, funny story about so. And now you guys have another one going up on uh, Merrick Avenue in Westbury. Yep. So I'm taking a. Um, this was a year ago. I'm in a feasibility class at mm-hmm. NYU, and the professor brings in a guest speaker who is um, an appraiser or an analyst from. I forgot the company, but really great guy in the city that do, you know, in very in-depth market reports. Yeah. And he's like, Yeah, I have um, I have a client right now. They call me, he's like, Oh, you're in the town of Hempstead. I'm trying to get building department information. He's like, It's really hard. I call them up, they don't tell me anything. I'm like, yeah, it doesn't work that way. He's like, I'm working with this group that's buying the old Sims building. Mm -hmm. And he's like, Yeah, they think they can build this. And he's like, I don't know. He's like, actually, there's another property like right across the way that was built that's exactly as of right. And all of a sudden, I see a report, like I see a news article that you guys are building it, and he was doing the market report for yeah. you guys. So I was like, that's wow, funny. That's, that's crazy, Yeah, very small world. Uh,
1: well, you know, the challenge in building the Vanderbilt, because we had to get bank financing for it, is you appraisers and lenders love it when there's a comp down the street yeah. th- that's doing the same numbers you project to get. But we were, we were planning to do something that nobody had ever done before. Um, and when we initially talked about our rents, they were like, nobody's ever, uh, Nobody's ever rented apartments for this much on Long Island, Um, and you know our position was we're going to do it, Uh, and and it took a lot of work to sort of cajole the appraiser into saying yeah okay so I I think you can do this, Um, and uh, and it was tough but I get one of the most gratifying uh, things for me about this business is when people tell you they don't oh yeah bro you can't do it and then you get it done it's awesome And, and um and it's it's I always say about our job it's it's a lot of depressing bullshit punctuated by these periods, you know, every couple of years of like some great victory where you feel really, really good and it makes it all worth it. Yeah, man. And getting the Vanderbilt done um, was one of those moments and, and leasing it up and hitting the numbers um, and and doing even better um, than our lenders thought we were going to do was, was really, really gratifying.
0: And now um, you can kind of write your own ticket with that stuff. So like nobody believes until you do it and then everybody wants to jump on board.
1: Oh, yeah. yeah. And I, and, and I think... Um, I think there are probably a lot of other developers out there who are looking to build Vanderbilt-type product on Long Island, and, and you know I hope they do. I, I think I think it's a needed uh, product type for the island. Not every um, empty nester wants a uh, single-family home with a uh, yeah. picket fence and
0: a little bit of a yard anymore. You know, or and... a successful millennial or Xer. Yeah. same kind of thing. Like I mean, listen, I, I sell a lot of houses. I Don't own my own house. I really don't want it. Yeah, it's just a personal uh, decision choice for me. Uh, I want to close out with uh, with this. Um, just curious to know about you know the the future of Beechwood. You taking more and more of an active role. Where you see Long Island going, and just the future of Beechwood in general, and, and the vision of the company. Um, if I can get uh, silly for a second, the,
1: the th- what I think would be great for Long Island, and I think would be game changing, um, will be when they figure out self driving cars, because if you can. Um, if you can get in your car, if you can move to Old Westbury or Brookville um, or Jericho or, or Syosset or you know anywhere reasonably close to New York City, and instead of having to get in your car in the morning and drive yourself into the city and deal with two hours of, of miserable traffic, you can get in your car and plug in where you're going to go and then sit back and read the paper or open your laptop. And re- I think it'll make Long Island a much more palatable place for wealthy people who live in New York City to, to live, and it's not, I keep talking about wealthy people, I and mean, one thing I should probably emphasize is um, Plainview and Yapank, um, they are high-end condominiums, but we also build affordable housing all over the place. Those jobs have affordable components, Yeah, um, but we're also building um, a highly affordable building in, in, Brook- in Brooklyn, um, That'll probably start next year. A tax, a tax credit deal? Uh, it's a tax credit deal. First time we've yeah. ever done it. Um, yeah. I don't think Very any, interesting. I don't think there's any money to be made, but I do think developers have a, a responsibility yes. to build at all levels of the spectrum. And, yes. and we build where there's demand, which is at the high end right now. But there's also demand for for affordable mm-hmm. housing. And so Everywhere. It, we sort of look at it as, as giving back. Um, but just to go back to, so I, I think that would be a game changer for Long Island um, to have self driving cars. I think it'll make living in Long Island really pleasant again, something like it was in the '50s, '60s, and '70s before the traffic uh, started to become such an issue. You know, as far as where I see Long Island going, I we're looking at, we've got a five year sort of view on things. Okay, somebody called me with that piece of land. What what do we think we could do there? Do we think the town would like it? Do we think the community would like it? Do we think we can make money? Um, I can't tell you where we're gonna be in 10 years or 20 years. I think we'll still be building here on Long Island. Um, I hope that you know, the uh, hurdles to development like taxes and bureaucracy, I hope they don't get so bad that nobody can build here anymore. Um, but, um, but I don't know, you know, I think we'll be doing more of what we're doing. And I, the, the one thing I'll, or the one sort of overriding strategy that I think we have is we have to adapt what we build to changing demographics and changing demand. Yes, um, And that was a little bit of what we did with the Vanderbilt. And, and recognize- change is the hardest thing for people to accept. Yeah, doing something new, being the first person to do something is, is hard, especially on Long Island, where it's hard to do things that people have done a million times before. Yeah. Um, but, um, but I think there is a shift going on in how millennials and Gen Xers um, and empty nesters want to live their lives, and we have to adapt our housing to that. Yeah. Um, so you know, our sort of one overriding strategy is we will be nimble, um, and uh, and if it's more high end rental, if it's more just middle market rental housing, if it's affordable housing, um, if it's smaller single family homes that that are more affordable on smaller pieces of land, we'll build for for Long Island always with an eye towards you know doing something that's going to improve the community because you never want to build in a community and have people um, think you're that they're worse off for it. So. Um, so you know that's what I'd say about that
0: no that's awesome that's amazing and I'm glad this gets to get out there and people get to hear it because I think there's a lot of misconceptions out there about you know IDA builders our motivations etc like yeah yeah, do we want to go to work and make money of course but there's um, there's a socially responsible way to to build and obviously we live here we grew up here we want it to get better we want it to sustain yeah so uh, thank you very much for coming in man I appreciate Uh, it awesome interview people are going to love it um I don't know if you want to put any of the contact information for the company, website, et cetera, if people are interested in a, a high-end condo, yeah, et cetera. Yeah, so
1: uh, beachwoodhomes.com, B-E-E-C-H-W-O-O-D-H-O-M-E-S.com, and that has that's a landing page for all of our communities, what we're building and selling now and what we've got coming up. So that's the place to go.
0: Yeah, they're absolutely beautiful. I was up at uh, Country Point this past weekend at Organic Crush getting this amazing kale salad with egg and bacon thing. Go uh, to go check it out. Obviously, I'm the handsome home buyer. If you have a house that smells like cat pee, commercial land, anything real estate related. If God created it and it doesn't move, I want to buy it. 516-777 Sold. That's a wrap.